Hi, everyone, and welcome to Currency Exchange, the podcast series where myself, Ingrid Daly, and our team of NatWest Economic Strategists break down the main themes and events driving the markets. This week, there was one peer event, which is the market's attention, that is the FOMC at Federal Reserve decision. Uh, there was an interesting kind of mispricing, I guess, between markets and Fed rhetoric. Even though the Fed kept reiterating that it would keep rates higher for longer, the market consistently priced in Fed cuts by the end of the year. Um, I turn now to, uh, we are joined by our chief U.S. economist, Kevin Cummins, uh, to break down what actually happened uh, at the Fed announcement on Wednesday. Kevin, what did the Fed actually announce? I guess what context did they put around it? Ah, yes, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I, I think the outcome of the meeting wasn't too different than heading into it as far as expectations for, certainly for the rate hike or the size of the rate hike that was announced. Um, as expected, they hiked 25 basis points. Um, the Fed has you know, stepped down the pace of hikes from an earlier really aggressive pace uh, to this 25 basis points now. And it seems like they're, they've kept the language um, in a little bit of a surprise move uh, relative to our expectation. They kept the language su suggesting that there's going to be ongoing increases in the funds rate. I think right now the base case for Powell um, that he kind of Im implied and didn't, he wasn't so explicit in his remarks, but he more or less laid out the base case being that there's going to be, he referenced a couple of rate hikes uh, to come. And that's generally consistent with what the SEP showed in December. The Fed's uh, summary of economic projections and the so-called dot plot had um, 75 basis points of hikes this year. Um, and, you know, obviously with yesterday's 25 basis point hike, it uh, implicitly suggests another couple of 25 basis point moves. Um, is, it seems like the Fed's base case. When he was kind of pressed on whether or not that is um, still a reasonable assumption and and kind of pushed and led in that direction, um, he did take, I, I'd say, a little less hawkish of an approach this time around. I, I'll just take you back um, a couple of Fed meetings ago uh, when we didn't get an updated dot plot, similar to yesterday. He really pressed home the idea that the September um, in November, he, he moved uh, in a, a very forceful uh, suggestion that the September dot plot was really outdated and they're, they're going to probably have to move those up. Um, this time around, you know, there was some question whether or not um, the Fed was still going to hike as much as they said they were in December. And he didn't really endorse the forecast explicitly when he was pressed, just saying that they're going to be updating them again in March. Um, but that, you know, that 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 they'll have to take another look to see the data and things will be data dependent. Um, but for the most part, uh, he he very much echoed kind of what was expected going into the meeting, that they're probably going to continue to push rates up a little bit more, um, but that they were encouraged by some of the signs uh, around inflation coming down, but the the victory, it, it, you know, he can't declare victory was one of the things he, he mentioned because of um, some of the details within uh, the core CPI and the core PCE still showed some lingering concerns um, 
on the core services X housing series. He pointed out that the six month change and the 12 month change are still running around 4%. And that doesn't show any sort of disinflation like the core goods and what he expects housing prices to do eventually later this year. So I think um, I think he's buying some time until the March meeting when they're going to have a lot more um, data um, and information to determine whether or not they go a little bit below 5% or a little bit above 5%. But he didn't really pound the table uh, necessarily in one direction or the other, but he kind of hinted that you know, the outline of uh, a couple of more hikes, I, I think, is uh, still the base case that they're going to get up to a little bit above 5%. But he wasn't really pushing that uh, or emphasizing that too much at this point. What is your expectation of how much further the Fed is going to hike um, the policy rate? I guess, what are the key indicators to watch when it comes to making that decision for the Fed? Yeah, so we um, we think that they're going to go a little bit above 5%. That's been our forecast for uh, some time now. And it still seems pretty reasonable given some of the clues, you know, whether or not they were intentional or not um, yesterday and the way he spoke. You know, I, I, I touched a little bit on it about the core services X housing series. Um, our own forecast for that doesn't show probably enough evidence that the Fed could officially stop if that's the only thing that they're looking at. Obviously, it's not. They look at everything. Um, but he did kind of mention that, that that would be an, an important um, development that they want to see, that they're convinced enough that inflation is going to move it back down to their 2% target. And he hinged it a lot upon how the tightness in the labor market on uh, hopefully unwinds here. And presumably, we'll see some rise in the unemployment rate. So our own official forecast is they hike another 25 basis points in March and then follow it up with another 25 in May, and then probably pause for the remainder of this year. Um, on the growth forecast, um, we still think that we're going to experience a fairly mild recession. Um you know, that there's obviously a lot can happen between now and, and the next couple of months with regard to not only inflation, but with regard to growth as well. We're still assuming that the economy slips into a recession. Um, unlike Powell, which he's holding out hope for a, a fairly soft landing. But I think even if the Fed were, you know, even if we did fall into a recession, the Fed's not going to be really that... Um, it, you know, it, it, presumably it's a fairly mild recession, like everybody kind of thinks it's going to be. Um, the Fed doesn't seem like it's going to be so anxious to get rates back down aggressively. I think we're probably, you know, in a, in a new period here over the next few years that rates don't necessarily have to get back down to their extremely low levels. When inflation was, say, below 2% for, for some time that the Fed was so ag aggressive and easy. I think they can remain, um, you know, maybe closer to neutral at some point um, if we're right and the economy tips into recession. The Fed, I think, would act um, after after waiting it out uh, probably for the remainder of this year and perhaps into early 24. Then they'll start to cut rates. Um, but I think at that point, you know, they'll they'll do what is necessary, and it'll probably uh, be a much quicker unwind. 
Um, and they'll be pro- probably pretty aggressive from their standpoint, you know, kind of how aggressive they were on the way up. I, I think we're, we're expecting to see that on the way down um, if we do tip into a recession. But I think, you know, inflation is a lagging indicator. The unemployment rate is a lagging indicator. So that's going to take a while for the Fed to actually flinch and to start cutting rates in our view. I, I think they're comfortable with the idea of growth. You know, if we fall into this, you know, back-to-back quarter of a recession, fairly mild or peak to trough decline of somewhere in the neighborhood of one to 2% or something somewhere along those lines, I don't think they're going to be so anxious. I think it's going to take enough time for inflation to start moving lower to be convinced that they're back to 2%. Because you know, that was one of the things he mentioned yesterday was it still seems like there's more risk to policy, a mistake, um, if they cut the hiking cycle short or if they react proactively and start cutting rates in, in if the economy does show starts to stumble here in 23. Um, that the, the ramifications and, and the damage there is probably more worrisome, it sounds like, from Powell's perspective, than it would be to um, be a little late to the game and, and to eventually start cutting rates. Because they can, they can cut very aggressively if they need to and try and stimulate the economy if things are really starting to unwind and, and it's a more severe recession. Um, but I think what they're worried about is that they lose credibility on inflation expectations if they, you know, pause too early or if they don't keep rates high enough long enough um, that inflation starts to move higher, they're going to take a hit to their credibility that they just didn't get the job done. And I think, you know, if you think back, they took a lot of um, criticism for, you know, the problems with transitory and the language around that with Powell being late to the game on eventually starting to hike rates that they don't want to make two mistakes. And Powell, you know, obviously has a legacy here. I think he wants to make sure that they're ringing inflation, they're getting back down to 2% before they can feel comfortable enough that they're going to start to uh, dial back and, and start to move back towards a more neutral level. Yeah. So the priority is getting inflation down first, even for this at the expense of growth. You know, I think it's kind of a great moment to actually bring in um, our US chief FX strategist. Um, Brian Dangerfield, you know, especially talking about kind of market expectations uh, versus what the Fed is saying. We've definitely seen that contrast. Brian, I'd love to get, you know, your thoughts on actually the market reaction that we did see, particularly the dollar and what where you saw most kind of traction coming through. So I think we have to look at this Fed decision in the context of what the market was expecting going into it, that it wasn't really necessarily about the size of the rate hike, but more about the message that Powell could potentially send. Now, on currency exchange last week, we actually spoke about this possibility that there was a difference between what the market is pricing, which is a lower terminal rate and earlier rate cuts than the Fed zone projections, and the possibility that Powell tries to push back against that. Now, I think some sort of pushback from Powell was almost universally expected. The Powell would come out and say something to the extent of, we think the market is easing financial conditions prematurely and that there should be some caution being taken in overly easing financial conditions given the inflation outlook is still, you know, the, some of the improvement in inflation we've seen is still very much in its early days. 
But instead, we effectively got the opposite. Now, on Currency Exchange last week, we talked about this possibility that Powell might sound hawkish, but the market may not believe Powell simply because the data have slowed. From that perspective, we were wondering that even if we got a hawkish message from Powell, if the market would still just take that and from the dollar's perspective, essentially fade any dollar positive out of it. Instead, the message that Powell gave was effectively, it's not my responsibility to tell the market that it's wrong. The Fed clearly has a more cautious outlook on inflation at the moment. And so as a result, its projections are higher. So Powell has effectively told the market, we're not concerned materially with the loosening of financial conditions. And so if going into this decision, I felt like maybe Powell's press conference was going to be perhaps a yellow light for the dollar sell-off. Powell's response instead, not pushing back, instead really gives the dollar, I think, a green light to continue weakening. So uh, from from that perspective, from the market perspective, uh, I think this was quite a dovish press conference. The, the, to- the word disinflation came up you know, over 10 times in this press conference. Obviously, that's a very new addition, this discussion of the disinflation process starting. And really, the difference not, doesn't necessarily come down to a core change in the message from the Fed relative to December. Look, the press conference and the statement was very similar. But I think the difference comes down to the data. The data have slowed. There is some evidence of slowdown in inflation. There's some evidence of perhaps some progress on the wage inflation front. Some of the economic data have been weaker. And so I think the data are doing the talking right now rather than the Fed. And that data, I think, is going to continue to push towards a weaker dollar. I think it's an excellent point that we've actually seen almost the Fed in line market and kind of seeing what was to pivot slightly more um, more dovish. I actually think you're, at this stage, what is the risk to kind of the dollar downtrend that we've seen? You know, does the Fed have the ability to aggressively push back? Does it come from data? What do you think is the biggest risk uh, to our dollar downside call? I think it would have to come from both sides of the relative growth coin. So from the U.S. side, it could come from the data front. You know, we have been in, in periods before. You think back to the summer of last year when markets started to become a little bit more confident that maybe the disinflationary process had begun, sort of June, July, and August of last year before inflation surprised decidedly to the top side and sort of pushed back that timing of peak Fed hawkishness. You know, it's certainly possible that inflation and growth stay um, you know, stay relatively high in the U.S. and that pushes the market expectations towards the Fed. But again, that's something that'll be driven by data, not by specifically what the Fed says. So that's the one side of the coin. The U.S. outlook could just prove to be stronger. On the other side, we could be looking at uh, the market becoming a bit too optimistic on growth abroad. When you think about the lower energy prices that we've seen in Europe and China's reopening, those have both boosted growth expectations outside of the U.S., I think that's been a very important piece of this dollar sell-off. If those expectations were to start to shift, say energy prices were to increase um, and growth data in China were maybe to disappoint, that could widen that relative gap back in favor of the US. So I would say the growth, the relative growth picture is probably the biggest risk right now. Moderating growth in the US and improving outlook abroad is combining to, uh, to change that relative growth dynamic against the dollar. But, you know, all of 2022, effectively, we were moving in that opposite direction. There are certainly risks that that kind of environment uh, could reignite here. Absolutely. And I have to get your opinion on the Bank of England and the ECB. Obviously, the Fed is kind of the world's default global central bank. We've had two other massive central banks kind of 
reporting ad decisions that we got some big market reactions off the back of them. What do you think kind of really drove um, the sell-off in, in Sterling and Euro today? Sure. So I think we were looking at the decisions on Thursday from the ECB and the Bank of England in the context of the Fed, where the Fed basically took its, you know, had an opportunity to try and tell the market it was wrong in terms of its pricing and instead took a more blase approach, essentially said, look, it's not our job to persuade the market to have a different inflation expectation than it does. Um, when we think about the Bank of England and the ECB, we were expecting 50 basis weight rate hikes from both and we got 50 basis weight from both. But I think market expectations for the two were quite different. For the Bank of England, I think market was expecting a dovish 50 basis point rate hike, and that's effectively what we got. The Bank of England changed its guidance language to remove a reference that it could raise rates forcefully if needed, clearly a, a sign of potential downshift um, in its tightening cycle. And the European Central Bank, meanwhile, their outlook is maybe a bit more nuanced, where they effectively said, we hiked 50 basis points today, and we intend to hike 50 basis points in March. So, you know, almost a pre-commitment to another aggressive move in March. But then they seem to leave the door open for a change in policy rate path from the March meeting on. So maybe a bit more hawkish commitment in the near term, but leaving open the possibility of a more dovish policy path um, beyond the March meeting. Um, in the ECB discussion as well, talking about growth risks, uh, that was revised up from previously being described as on the downside to being more balanced. And inflation risks were also moderated. Um, the discussion around inflation risks used to be on the top side, and those are being seen as more balanced as well. And so um, I think the context there is the market was expecting something very hot from the ECB and something fairly dovish from the bank. England. On the Bank of England side, I think they met that expectation of fairly dovish. Uh, from the ECB side, I think it's more of a mixed picture, but because the expectations were more hawkish, uh, you've seen maybe that reaction left something to be desired uh, from the hawkish side. So, Emer, I did want to ha ask you, transitioning a little bit, thinking about central banks in emerging markets, you know, we have a bunch of really big G10 developed market central bank decisions, and it looks like a lot of the price reaction has been in the dovish direction where the market seems pretty confident that we're approaching the end, if not at the end, of the rate hike cycle for a number of major central banks. Uh, but this creates an interesting and difficult proposition for emerging market central banks because in many cases, there uh, there has been slower inflation, expect uh, lower inflation, falling inflation expectations, and policy rates across emerging markets are actually quite high. So I did want to ask you, what do some of these decisions mean for some central banks? We saw Brazil Central Bank this week, for example, took a fairly hawkish tone at its meeting. Do you think these central bank decisions from developed markets is something that could lead to more dovish central bank decisions or maybe even rate cuts coming from some of the big emerging market central banks? Yeah, I think it's um, you know a key question. You can't underplay kind of the positive effects of you know, the Fed approaching the end of its tightening cycle for emerging markets. I mean, on the one hand, you've got you know domestic currency strength because of a weaker dollar, so limiting that imported inflation risk. But also, you know, capital flows really seeing a return of foreign capital flows back into really underserviced and um, local currency bond markets and local assets that really is supporting these domestic economies. And I think especially, you know, in places like South Africa or in Asia, where they never really suffered the same inflation problem. 
as the rest of and um, as the rest of the world, you do have that risk that central bank could pivot and become your know, left pocket. I think that's where the key risk lies. However, I think you know any central bank which comes down and, and thinks kind of ready and willing to start cutting um, policy rates could really use themselves at the mercy um, of FX pressure and basically underperformance relative to the dollar. Um, we did, however, see you know Brazil central bank really push back and uh, on Wednesday in terms of kind of any market expectations they will be cutting policy rates. I think overall, you know, central banks will be extremely cautious in maintaining either the yield that they're offering investors. They have a very recent example of what it means to be left out um, of global capital markets and have that money kind of flooding away. So we do think there is further to go in this EMFX rally versus the dollar. I think there's particular opportunities in places like South Africa, where, for example, kind of concerns over uh, domestic electricity blackouts you know, really left the currency behind from that emerging market rally. Kind of the sad reality is that South Africa, you know, had suffered from um, a shortage of electricity generation over the last 12 years. The economy, you know, has kind of uh, found resourceful and alternative means to keep going, even in these shortages. So time and again, we see activity data really outperforming. So I think, you know, South Africa has been left behind this EM kind of bonanza as one place that we could definitely see a catch up. But I think that is all that we have time for today. Just to thank my guest, Optic Brian Dagerfield and Kevin Cummins for joining me on this week's edition of the Currency uh, Exchange. If you did like the podcast, please let us know by uh, clicking like and do subscribe so it's easier to find future episodes. Thank you all. <laughs>